For today, we're getting back to our series from the book of Colossians, week number three of Against the Tide, subtitled Living for Christ in a Non-Christian World. And I keep mentioning that the message of the Bible is that no matter how things appear, you know, uh, uh, politically, relationally, financially, no matter how things appear, there is always hope because God is in charge. God is in control. We have not been promised that everything is going to go great in any portion of our life for our entire life, but we are guaranteed that the Lord is in charge. There is always hope. So in about 60 AD, while the Apostle Paul was a prisoner in the city of Rome, he wrote a letter uh, to Christians living in the city of Colossae, to the church in the city of Colossae, uh, a Roman province in modern-day Turkey. And here's a map, uh, and this time I put a big red arrow. Can you see that big red arrow right there? And it points up to the city of Colossae, and you can see the peninsula there uh, that, that would be the modern-day country of Turkey. But, but it's a real city. He was speaking to people who lived in a predominantly non-Christian society, and he showed them how to stand against the tide of society's prevailing attitudes and how to capture a life that is pleasing to God. He talked a lot about what it means to love God, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian in a non-Christian environment. And the answers that he offered that church over 1,900 years ago are still relevant today. That's the great thing about the Bible. It's still relevant. It was written millennia ago, but it is still relevant. So we're uh, uh, relevant, not relevant, but relevant. Uh, we're examining Paul's letter to the Colossians to learn how we can live life against the tide. Now, just since it's been a couple of weeks, I'll remind you that the, the first Sunday, we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, what's so great about being a Christian. We examined how being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a committed follower of Jesus, gives you reason to be optimistic. You don't have to lose hope in world. And, and week to, number 2, we looked at verses 9 through 14. What does it take to please God? We talked about the fact that pleasing God is a matter of loving Him with all your soul and all your mind and all your heart and all your strength. And today we're going to take a look at the next few verses, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The interesting thing about verses 15 through 20 is that they're, they're poetic uh, in form. Uh, 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 probably in the same kind of a form that an ancient hymn of praise to God would have been sung. Now, we don't know that this was an ancient hymn. Pa Paul probably just wrote this. You know, okay, uh, Even though he was a writer of prose, he probably just broke out in praise here in talking about God. But it's a wonderful thing, and I wouldn't doubt that at some point in time it was made into a hymn. And certainly we, we have the words from from uh, these uh, verses of Scripture in hymns today. But after talking about the Son, Jesus, the Son whom the Father loves, and how we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, Paul moves on to the main emphasis of his letter to the Colossians, and that is the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is above everything else. And so Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 begins like this. He... That is Jesus. Now, I just put Jesus in brackets over and over again because we're talking about Jesus here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So, first of all, Jesus is the perfect image, the exact representation of the Father, the invisible God. It is impossible. No one can see the essence of the invisible God. It's invisible. 
And if you could see him, he wouldn't be invisible anymore, right? So no one can see. Uh, John wrote this, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So as the perfect image of the invisible God, Jesus is all we will see, all we ever will see, all we can see of God. I believe every appearance of God uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament must by definition be the Son of God, the second person uh, of the Trinity. So, so first, Jesus is the perfect image of God. He is the image of the invisible God. And then he is called the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn denotes two things about Jesus and creation. First of all, it indicates that he preceded the whole creation. And then second, that he is sovereign. He is uh, over uh, the owner of all creation. Firstborn implies that both Christ's priority to creation in time, you know, he, he's God, it always has existed. He's not God's little boy. He is God. He has always existed. And he is sovereign in rank over the creation. If you think about uh, in the Old Testament in particular, the firstborn child had two distinctions. First of all, he had the priority of birth. He was first. He was before uh, everybody else. But he also had the dignity and superior, superiority that went with it. And so that's Jesus, why Jesus is called the firstborn. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then verse 16 continues like this. For by him all things were created. By Jesus Christ all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth. If it exists uh, as a created thing, if it is outside of God himself, Jesus created it. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible things and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, anything that exists, angels, spirit beings, anything that exists, animate, inanimate things, all things, heaven and earth. Last, the last sentence in that verse says, all things were created through him and for him. Since all things were created by him, Jesus had to exist before creation. He is the eternal God. Through him referred to the fact that he was the executor of the creation. In the beginning, God created everything, right? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. How did God do that? God spoke and God said, let there be light. The Father spoke and the Word created everything. Jesus is the living Word. He's the creator and he's both before and over all things visible and invisible. And since he is the creator of everything, the originator of everything, all things exist for him as well as through him. He is the reason I exist. He is the reason you exist. And when, when you or I fulfill the reason for our existence, we're fulfilled. And if we don't fulfill the reason for our existence, we're not fulfilled. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist or are held together. As God, Jesus existed before everything. I'll say again, he is the pre-existent God. He is from all eternity to all eternity that is indescribable. We can't think of something that has no beginning. When did God start? He didn't. When does God end? He doesn't. God has simply has always existed in eternity and cannot be described in time. 
and he also holds everything together. In him, all things consist. In him, all things hold together. I think about this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter describes it's going to happen one day uh, in, when, in the end of this creation. that talks about the, the elements just coming apart. Uh, and and I, I imagine it like this. God's hand holds the very atoms and the parts of the atoms together in our society today. If we can break up one atom, it creates a chain reaction that we call an atomic explosion, a, a, an explosion based on atoms. I can just imagine God releasing his hand that holds everything together one day and the atomic explosion that will take place as everything goes back uh, to where uh, it came. And, and, and by the way, when Peter's talking about all that, he encourages us to repent and to live our lives honoring this one that has such power over us. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things consist. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence as the first to resurrect from the dead. He is supreme over all things. He is head over the church. He is the beginning of salvation. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Verse 20, and by him, by him the Father chose to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by him, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Reconcile. Uh, the Father chose to reconcile all things to God through Jesus Christ. Reconcile means to settle differences. Reconcile means to make peace. Reconcile means to, to restore friendly relations. And this particular word for reconcile means to reconcile completely, just absolutely re reestablish. You know, sometimes you and I might have a problem and we could reconcile, but there's always just a little something going on there. You, you, can, can you relate to that? But this word means when God reconciled us with himself through Jesus. It was 100% and totally done. You can be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And in fact, one day the entire creation will be reconciled to him. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated, separated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Alienated, separated, and enemies is the opposite of reconciled. How is it that Jesus did that? How is it that Jesus took us aliens uh, and us wicked people in our work? How is it that he reconciled us to God? Well, verse 22 says, in the body of his flesh through death. That's how. By, by becoming human like us and by dying on the cross for us, that's how he reconciled us. To, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you, it is in that way that he presents you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not the sin that we can do very little about, but the righteousness of Jesus. If 
indeed you continue, verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. That if there, the first word uh, is of the continuance of their faith, is called by linguist A.T. Robertson. I'm just going to mention this and we'll move on. He calls it a condition of the first class determined as fulfilled. That means you can, you can uh, translate that sense because it's done. It, that was done by God. God is the one that ensures that we continue with him since you will continue in your faith. Our continuance in the faith is not based upon our righteousness. It's based upon God's work in us and God keeps us no matter what. So we could just keep talking about that, but let's make some practical applications. Over the past 47 years of ministry, I've counseled with people all kinds of problems. You name it, for the most part, uh, I have run into it. Marriages, you know, the breaking up after 25 or 30 or more years. You know, kids get grown and get through college and it's, it's, it's all over with. Children who are breaking their parents' heart by their thoughtless lifestyle, whether it was sexual promiscuity or drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be. Loved ones diagnosed with terminal illness. Uh, loved ones dying uh, suddenly. Stillborn children, teenagers killed, uh, uh, you know, when they, they were the most vibrant in life. Financial disaster, bankruptcy, loss of jobs, all kinds of things. And, and as I look at this passage of Scripture, I see, you know, the only answer to all that is Jesus. <laughs> and he is the answer. And he's the one that makes it all worthwhile. Uh, he makes a difference in our life. And, and so very briefly this morning, three ways Jesus makes a difference in my life. And here's the first one. We read about this, and to me, kind of the big one. Jesus is the source, is my source of strength. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, you're not just aligning yourself with a good teacher. You're not just adopting a belief system. Yeah, I became a Christian. And now, uh, you know, at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, I, I go and sit with those other Christians and we sing a song and we listen and we go out to eat and then I go to work. You're not just, you're not just aligning yourself with a certain system. I keep certain rules now and I look a certain way. It's, it's, it's way more than that. When you choose to follow Jesus, you're connecting with the God of the universe. You're connecting with the God who created every single thing that exists. You're connecting with the one who has more power and more authority than any other being because he is the very God. That's who Jesus is. Colossians 1.15, go back there, it says he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, for by him, verse 16, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is supreme. He has the ultimate power of the universe, and he's willing to share. <laughs> okay? He's willing to share it with you and me, willing to give us strength. He is the source of any strength we have. I don't have to tackle life based on my own limited abilities, and they are really limited. Sometimes I get so dissatisfied with me and what I can do, but that's not what my life is about. Jesus' unlimited power is available, available to me and to you. 
Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says this, Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Beyond what we even think we might like to do for Him, God is able to work within us. With Jesus, you can do more than you ever dreamed. With Jesus, uh, you can accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. Conversely, without him, you don't have a chance. (laughs) But with him, you can do anything. Now, the early followers of Jesus understood this. We we studied this in our Sunday night small group a few weeks ago. But in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, two guys that you're familiar with, went up to the temple one day in the afternoon about prayer time. And there was this lame guy who's uh, 38, 40 years old, and he'd been laying there, had been crippled uh, all of his life, and they healed him. And, and for that healing, people grabbed, uh, gathered around them, and they began preaching, but they got arrested for it, thrown in jail, spent the night in jail, put on trial the next day, uh, and told never to preach in the name of Jesus again. As soon as they were free from that, you know what they did? They ran to the church. And they got the church together. And they, they prayed. They told the church what happened. And here's what Acts 4.24 says. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Isn't that great? First thing they did, they, they said, we can't handle this, God. This job is too big for us, God. We know what we're supposed to do, but it terrifies us to do the right thing. We don't know what to do. And so they prayed to God, God that created everything, supreme God, sovereign God, God who is over everything. God, help us. People in the Old Testament understood this power as well. When King Hezekiah of Judah was threatened by the greatly superior forces of the Assyrian king and the Assyrian army. 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 15 says, Then King Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. Now, if you were in our class this morning at 9 o'clock, we had a picture of the cherubim, didn't we? O him who dwells between the cherubim. This is talking about the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and how God met with Israel right there in that place. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O God, Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. Not a God, one of the gods, you are it. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. What a prayer. God, that you know, there's this army out here and there's no way under heaven that I, uh, that, my, that your people can meet this vastly superior force. But there is a way in heaven and that is by your power because you're the creator of heaven and earth. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the all-powerful God of the universe, the creator who is able to do all things. He is the source of our strength. And Paul is writing to this group of people that are trying to live under adverse circumstances. And he wasn't just giving them a theology lesson. He was saying to them, this is the God who strengthens you. Second thing here, Jesus holds my life together when it seems to be falling apart. In spite of appearances, nobody has it all together all the time. 
Everybody's life unravels uh, sometime. That includes celebrities and sports stars and wealthy people and successful business people and successful professional people and good church people and pastors and attorneys and athletic directors and counselors and doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. It's anything you want to name. That includes everybody. Sometimes our life just kind of comes apart. Sometimes it unravels because of our own sin. We messed up, made a bad decision. Sin means we knew we shouldn't have made that decision. Sometimes it it unravels because of circumstances that are around us that are beyond our control. It just happened, and it affects us. In those times, it's important to remember that we serve the creator of the universe, the only God. Our Savior is Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul said in verse 17, Colossians 1:17. And he is before. He's before all things. And in him, all things consist. He came before everything, and he holds everything together. Now, of course, Paul is referring to the fact that Jesus holds the entire universe together. But if he can hold the universe together, he can hold me together. (laughs) I'm I'm an easy job in comparison to that. If he can hold the universe together, he can hold your life together, regardless of how it seems to be unraveling. I don't know, uh, you know, you may be facing a, a, a major chaotic life situation right now. It may have something to do with, with your family or your finances or your job or your, your education or, or so, I don't know what it might be. But no matter what's happening and no matter whose fault it is, God can help you hold it together. Think, look at this statement here. If you will turn to Jesus, he has enough power and enough compassion to see you through any challenge you face. When you compare uh, the real God some of the ancient uh, false gods, you know, uh, they're all supposed to have great power. But a lot of times they just don't care. They don't care about you. They care about themselves. God cares about you. He not only has the power, he has the compassion to see you through any challenge that you face. Even if it's your fault, and it is a lot of times, right? Even if it's your fault, you don't have to face the future without him. 1 John 1, 8 says this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We walk around thinking, I'm better than everybody else is. You know, God's lucky to have me. I'm really good. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But verse 9, 9 says, if we confess our sin, if we just admit, yep, messed up, did the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, went the wrong place. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that word for all in the Greek language means all. Okay? Just in case you wanted a little Greek lesson there. That means whatever mistake you've made, whatever sins you've committed, whatever baggage you're dragging behind you, from previous years and previous relationships and all those kinds of things, whatever you've accumulated, Jesus will cleanse it and he will forgive you and it's never too late. God still has a plan for your life and you need to confess it to him. So whether the problems in your life are the result of sin or the circumstances beyond your control, we know this, Jesus can hold my life together when it seems to be falling apart. And one more thing. Jesus gives me peace 
Everybody wants a little peace. Gives me peace with God and peace with myself. Peace is near the top of almost everyone's list of things they want most in life, but can't quite seem to get a hold of. You know, thought I had it, but lost it. Um, I just put it in the search engine of my computer this week and looked at all different kinds of things. But I came across this uh, blogger in a, on a pretty liberal kind of a site. Her name was Kathy Caprino. I have no, no idea who that is. I just like what she said. Uh, but it was, was entitled, The Top th- Ten Things People Want in Life But Can't Seem to Get. Number four on the list was peace. And she wrote this, We long for peace desperately. That's true. Peace from noise, chatter, pressure, responsibilities. We stayed in the motel room this week. Uh, I mean, everything was packed out. It was one of these motels, you know, where the door goes outside to the railing and the tiki bar was right down there. Uh, And man, it was noisy in that room. I just wanted a little peace every once in a while, you know. We long for peace desperately, peace from noise, chatter, pressures, responsibility, just one little peace. We also want peace from the pain and thumping inside our own heads, the conflicts and strain we inflict on ourselves every minute to be better and stronger and smarter and prettier or thinner or better parents or you just fill in the blank, whatever you put your uh, pressure on you about. Of course, Jesus wants us to have peace. It's one of the things he said. John 14, 27, Jesus said this, peace I live with you. I'm getting ready to leave, but peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How does the world give? The world promises what it can't deliver. The world says, do this and you'll have peace. Do this and you'll, have, you'll be happy. Do this and you'll be fulfilled. And it never happens. And Jesus said, what I give to you is real. And to the Colossians, he wrote this. Words from our text, Colossians 1:19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all fullness should dwell. Verse 20. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Now, we talk about reconciliation and so forth, but having made peace. Now, I, I said two kinds of peace, and these can be called by different words, but first, I can have peace with God. I am a stranger to God. I am the enemy of God until I am reconciled to Him, and then I'm at peace with God. I'm at war with God until I'm at peace with God. Continuing on, verse 21, Colossians 1.21 says, and you who once were alienated, you were aliens, and enemies in your minds by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled. Alienated and enemies are the opposite. How did Jesus do that? Well, as we said a while ago, verse 22, he did it in the body of his flesh through death when he died on the cross to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Notice that God does not say you were alienated from God and then by your own good works you were able to be blameless and right with God. You can't do it that way. He says you became holy and blameless because Jesus died in his flesh and paid the price of your sin. Then the separation that existed between you and God was abolished once and for all. Peace with God. Then, 
I'm going to put it like this. Then God gives me peace with myself. We no longer, once we have peace with God, we no longer have to feel guilt about our past because the one we sinned against has forgiven us. No matter what sin you commit, the sin is against God. Read Psalm 51, I think it is, where David said after, the, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed and all that kind of stuff, he said to God, against you and you only have I sinned. So we no longer have to feel guilt in the past because the one we sinned against has forgiven us. We don't have to be fearful about our future because the one who controls the future is the one who's taking care of us. I, I have no control, zero control over the future. I, don't, I can't predict what's going to happen this afternoon. But the one who controls the future is taking care of me. Regardless of what has happened in the past and regardless of what might happen tomorrow, we can live today knowing that God is in control and he has made everything right. And when we accept his forgiveness, it is possible to forgive ourselves. Uh, sometimes I call this the peace of God, you know, the peace with God. Then God gives us his peace over all kinds of things. But, but the first place I have to make peace is with me. And if I can be at peace with God and at peace with me, I can be at peace with you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, two of my favorite verses say this in the New King James Version. Be anxious for nothing. That is, don't be tied up in a wad about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And you know what's going to happen when you just refuse to get tied up in a knot, but you turn everything over to Jesus? Verse 7 says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You won't understand, nobody will understand how you can be peaceful in that situation. But the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I feel I must read that in a little bit more modern translation, which reads like this, Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. And it's more than don't worry, be happy, you know. Hey, uh, that'll whack you in the face. I'll catch, come up from behind you. But don't worry about anything. Instead, do this. Pray about everything. I doubt, I'm not going to ask for this because I don't want anybody to lie who prays about everything because I don't think any of us do that. We might pray about a lot of things and pray about more things sometimes we do other times. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Be sure you thank Him. And then verse 7 says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, fear and turmoil and chaos can become a thing of the past. Now, we bring it with us a lot of times, but it can become a thing of the past. You don't have to live your life thinking that you're on your own because you have his power and his presence. You're not on your own. Uh, he's with you. You don't have to live your life feeling like everything is spinning out of control because he holds everything together. You don't have to live your life overcome by worry and anxiety because he gives you peace. Paul tells us that Jesus is the creator of the universe, the head of the church, and the fullness of God. This means that his power is available to you and to me, and that he will fill us with strength and hope and peace. So, here's the question. How do I get that? <laughs> how, do, how do I experience God's strength 
and God's peace in my life? And, and, and the basic answer to that question is just this. You ask for it. You ask for it. You humble yourself before God and you ask for it. You ask and then you follow Jesus. You surrender yourself to, to him. You say, God, I can't do this on my own. I, I can't do it. I'm a failure uh, on my own. Uh, I'm a sinner separated from you. To start with, you say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid the price of my sin, and I give myself completely uh, to you. And you trust him as your Savior, and you're born again into his family. But then as, as Christians, we still have to go to God regularly and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need your help. I surrender to you. I, I want your will to be done. Uh, I, I sort of think I'd like things to turn out like this over here, but I'm not positive about that because I can't see the future, and there may be something better than that. And so I'm going to tell you this is the way I'd like for it to be, but I'm also going to say from the very depths of my being, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Father, I know that you're here with us, and I thank you for that. We love you, but we only love you because you loved us first. You died for us, and I thank you that Jesus is the creator, the head of the church, supreme over all things, and that he died for us. Let us get our minds around what that's all about and submit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.